following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Now let's pray together. Father, Lord, we come to you now. We ask that you would uh, calm our hearts, clear our minds, Help us to be ready to to listen to you. Pray that you'll help me to uh, clearly share the things that uh, you've put on my heart to share. That you'll help me to clearly articulate um, the truth of your word. Pray that uh, our preoccupations with uh, the things we've been doing this week or the things that we still need to do can, can just be settled, be put aside. And we can come into a place of uh, reflecting on uh, your truth and uh, that we'll be re- open and receptive and ready to hear from you. pray all this in your name. Amen. So let me begin by asking you a question. Um, have you ever felt betrayed? Ever been in a place where you felt like somebody betrayed you? Uh, maybe uh, it was someone that you were close to Um, But then you find out that they've been saying negative things about you behind your back. Or maybe it was somebody that you you trusted with something. Maybe it was a piece of information. Or maybe it was a responsibility. I remember one time when I uh, was in a place of feeling betrayed. We were were living in Malawi, uh, southern Africa. And there was a fuel shortage going on. And uh, it was a time when I was... Uh, driving a rather old pickup truck. So I had this pickup truck that I could kind of drive anywhere and do anything to, and I didn't have to worry about it. It was a, a Toyota Hilux. It was basically indestructible. But because of the damage that had happened to it, uh, there were certain things on it that didn't work. And one of them was the fuel gauge. And it was not worth the hassle or the money to figure out how to fix this fuel gauge. And so Every time I filled up my car, I would go and I'd press the odometer. And every time I got around to 450 or 500 kilometers, I knew it's time to go to the gas station, fill it back up, or I'll get stuck on the road somewhere. So there was one morning I woke up, I got into my car, I drove out of the driveway, I got not even 500 meters, and the car just stopped. And I tried to start again. It had all the indications that I had run out of fuel. So I thought, hmm, this is strange. So I got out of my car, I walked back home. Got a friend, got some fuel, got enough fuel in it to get going, and it started up again, and I I went off, and I thought, that was strange. Uh, Maybe the last time I filled it up, I forgot to push the odometer, or perhaps uh, I hadn't filled it all the way up, but I'd forgotten because I didn't have enough money with me. So whatever it was, I gave myself a little bit of grace and continued on my way until it happened again almost one week later, almost in the same exact spot. My truck stopped. All the indications that it was out of fuel. So I thought this was really strange. So I began to look into things. And as I looked into it, what I discovered was our guard who was there at night, uh, the very person who we had hired to protect our things from being stolen while we were sleeping, was crawling underneath my truck at night, disconnecting the fuel line and siphoning off fuel slowly, slowly over time until there was no fuel in my truck. And so uh, I began to feel that I had been betrayed. The black market for fuel at that time was quite high, and so it was to his advantage. And so I was feeling betrayed by somebody who I had trusted with a responsibility. 
So maybe you felt betrayed, maybe you haven't, but what about wasting time? Have you ever felt that somebody has wasted your time and you've wasted your efforts on them? Um, maybe it's as simple as one of your children solving a math problem. I don't know if you've ever been in one of these circumstances, if you have kids, but you have a math problem maybe they're working on and they say, I can't get this, this is too hard. And so then you sit down, you get the book out. If you're like me, it takes a while. 15, 20 minutes in the math book, like what is going on here? You figure it out and then you explain it to your child and after you get through the whole explanation, you suddenly realize they were so distracted by their phone, they actually weren't listening to you. And you think to yourself, what have I been doing for the last half hour? Have I wasted my time on you? Maybe it was something a little bit more serious. Um, maybe you have a friend that has some serious issues in their life um, and they've come to you for help. Maybe they're in a bad relationship and you advise them, you walk with them, you lose sleep over their situation. You're ready to answer the phone at any moment because they're relying on you. You're ready to answer a text message even late into the night because they're relying on you. And yet, however, after time and after a lot of heartache, they don't change. Or they go back into that bad relationship. And you think to yourself, I've spent all that time and all that energy for nothing. Maybe you were discipling someone. You became close and they were really listening to you. They sought you out. They sought out your advice and you saw them growing. But then something happened. Someone else maybe came into their life and began to influence them. Maybe it was an old friend. Uh, maybe it was a, a family member. Um, but either way it goes, they begin to walk away. And so you become discouraged. And you find yourself in this place beginning to wonder if all that time, all that energy... All that effort that you put out had been wasted. In Galatians chapter 4, where we're at today, we find Paul in a place where he's feeling like the church of Galatia has maybe betrayed him. He's wondering if he wasted all of his time and all his energy and efforts while he was in Galatia on the Galatian church. During Paul's first missionary journey, he had preached at Galatia and many people had come to Christ. They had accepted Paul they had accepted the gospel message. However, since that time, a group, a group that we know as the, the Judaizers came in. And what they began to tell the Galatians, they were telling the Galatians that Paul's message of justification by faith is good, but that's, that's not quite enough. In addition to that, you need to follow the law. You need to follow the whole Jewish law, the law that was given to Moses. Beyond that, they were speaking against Paul. They were trying to create distance and separation between Paul and the Galatians. In chapter 4, verses 8 to 11, the section that's just before uh, the section that we're going to look at today, Paul tells the Galatians that before they became Christians, they didn't know the true God. He said that they were slaves to things that in fact were not gods. And then he says, now that you know the true God, how is it that you're turning back You've known the true God, but it's like you're going back to those old things. He's essentially saying that by adding the Jewish law onto the gospel, it's like going back to the pagan gods that they had worshipped before they had become Christians. And so Paul despondently asks, he says, Have I wasted my time and my efforts on energy on you? Have I labored over you in vain? So in our passage today, we find Paul making a plea. He pleads to them 
to come back to the original teachings. They had become Christians, but now the Judaizers are trying to get them to follow the Jewish law, and Paul pleads with them to come back. So let's read together Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 to 20. If you have your Bible, you can look at it there. If not, the words will be on the screen. Beginning in verse 12, Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. How have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for who I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. So thus far, beginning in verse 12, Paul has been explaining the gospel to the Galatians. And now here in verse 12, Paul makes a plea. He says to them, follow my example. Follow my example. He says, become like me, for I became like you. Paul is basically saying that he had become like the Galatians who had no law before they accepted Christ. And Paul had become like them when he accepted Christ. He he, had given up the law, given up uh, what he had come out of at that time uh, as a Jew. And so now Paul is now encouraging them to become like him, one who is free from the law. He's saying basically, I became like you Gentiles when I abandoned the law and accepted that I was a sinner and turned to Christ. So he pleads with them, follow my example and what I did. And then he goes on in the verse to say, you did me no wrong. So Paul is not taking the rejection of the pure gospel personally. They're not walking away from Paul. They're in one essence, but really they're walking away from God. It's very easy for us to take personally when people reject the gospel sometimes. And sometimes it should sting. If people are walking away from the message because of our own hypocrisy, then maybe it should sting. However, more often than not, people walk away because of God's requirements on their life. The hypocrisy or this excuse that people often make of, I don't want to be a Christian because Christians are hypocrites, is more often than not just an empty excuse. Verses 13 to 16, Paul calls them to remember how they first responded to the gospel. So in verses 13 to 16, Paul reminds them how they responded to him the first time that he was with them. So when Paul first preached the gospel to the Galatians, he says he was suffering from an illness. And we're not quite sure what this illness was. There's, there's been a lot of uh, suggestions and ideas. Um, some suggest that maybe it was uh, the thorn in the flesh that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 12.7. Uh, some suggest that it was malaria. Uh, in the lowlands of the area where he had been, there was malaria. Galatia was a high altitude. And at that time when you got malaria, you would go to a higher altitude to recover. 
Maybe it was malaria. Some suggest that it was an eye ailment of some sort because in verse 15, Paul says, had you been able to, you'd have given me your eyes. So maybe it was an ailment, but in the truth, we don't know. Um, But what we do know is that Paul was there because of some sickness. It was some sort of sickness that was burdensome on the Galatians in some way. But the Galatians were able to look past that. They were able to look past that and they were able to understand the truth of the gospel, the truth of the teaching that Paul was giving to them. It says that they received him like an angel or even like Christ himself. And so he had a significant reception. He says that they would have gone to the lengths of actually tearing their own eyes out and giving them to Paul had it been possible. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was down in uh, the south of Ethiopia. Um, And I found something I knew, but I found it uh, repeated to me that the Ethiopians excel at hospitality. And we see that the church in Galatia was extremely hospitable to Paul. They accepted him as he was, so they would have, would have given their eyes to him. So uh, I was down there in the south of, of uh, Ethiopia receiving uh, the blessing of hospitality. There was one particular evening, it was Saturday, we, we drove about eight hours south and visited one church. We drove a few other hours, visited another church, got in at 8 p.m., met all these church leaders who had been sitting waiting for us. Uh, we spent about 45 minutes for them with them, and then they began to serve us food. And so in the Ethiopian way, they brought out the injera, they laid it on a plate, and then they began to put uh, food on top. I don't know if you've had Ethiopian food or not before, but a lot of times they'll sort of have four or five kind of curries that they put on it, and then you take the injera, you tear it off, and you eat it. And so uh, we had this injera, and this train of ladies came into the, to the room, and they gave us uh, four or five kinds of, of things to eat, and I was very happy. I was extremely hungry, so I'm sitting there eating away. Well, then suddenly the door comes open, and in comes a second group of ladies. And they begin to pile on food. Another five kinds of food gets put onto my plate. The door shuts. Five minutes later, a third group of ladies come in and keep piling on the food. Myself, uh, the guy named Chris who was traveling with me, we're getting pretty full. And they keep looking at us. They're like, eat more, eat more, eat more. And we're like, we're getting really full. And they're like, no problem. Do this. Do this. Do this. <laughs> It'll create more space. You can eat more. Most of the meals there are then followed by coffee and popcorn. So it was just like pouring on the hospitality. It was incredible. But I'll tell you what. Regardless of how hospitable they were, nobody offered me their eyes. The church at Galatia was willing to go to great lengths for Paul. Paul reminds them of how well they had treated them. But now he asks the question, basically, what happened? We were so close. Uh, But now I'm being treated like an enemy because I told you the truth. You were my faithful disciples, but now that I've sought to correct you, you're treating me like an enemy. So something has changed, and it's significantly impacted their relationship to Paul. Verse 17 and 18 Paul goes in to tell them basically his take on the situation. Here's what I see going on here. Here's what's happening there at the church. So he tells them that the Judaizers um, are zealous to win them over. Uh, This word zeal, Paul uses it three times here. Uh, The word zeal, zealous, has has worked itself into the language 
Um, but basically, it's a word which comes from uh, a Jewish group that existed largely during the first century. Um, we know of them most notably from uh, the Jewish-Roman War of A.D. 66 to 73, where they sought to use violence to get rid of the Roman Empire. Um, they wanted Jerusalem to be established as the place that worshipped one God. The way that they worked is they were basically terrorists. They would move around in small groups. They had small daggers. And if there was a Roman soldier by himself, they would seek to get in close to him and essentially kill him. This is how the zealots worked. Um, probably the most uh, famous zealot was uh, Christ himself had a disciple who was amongst the party of the zealots. So to be zealous was to be extremely passionate. The zealots were extremely passionate for Israel. They were extremely passionate to see Israel released from being under the rule of the Roman Empire. And so here Paul uses this term three times in relation uh, to the church at Galatia there. He says that the Judaizers were working hard to proselytize, to move the Galatians over to their way of seeing things, their way of understanding things. They were being pressurized to conform to the whole law. The Judaizers' central concern was their zeal for Israel and their zeal for the law and their zeal for uh, circumcision as a sign of adhering to the whole law. So essentially their zeal was, was nationalistic. It was focused on Israel. It was focused on the law. It was focused on that rather than the true gospel. They're seeking to alienate the Galatians from Paul. They want to associate the Galatians with the Jews. They want to essentially build a wall between uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. This was a wall that Christ himself had already broken down. So Paul then says he wants the Galatians to be zealous, but for the right things. And he wants them to be uh, zealous for good, but not only just when Paul is with them. He wants them to be zealous all the time. So then in uh, the last section uh, of our passage today, Paul states his wish. This is what Paul wishes for. Paul expresses his desire to be with the Galatians. He says, how I wish I could be with you. He expresses that he feels as if he is in childbirth with the Galatian church again. He had been with them. They had understood. They had accepted the gospel. But now they've walked away. And so it's like Paul is having to give birth to them again. They were persuaded by false teachers. And so Paul is taking them back to the very foundation of what he had taught them. He says he desires to see Christ formed in them. He desires to see Christ formed in them. He wants them to live by the Spirit and not to live by the law. Paul doesn't want, it's interesting, this, he, he doesn't want the Judaizers to, to or, or the, excuse me, the Galatians to move away from the Judaizers so that he'll have a bigger following. He's not trying to create a, a, a large mega church or anything. Um, he doesn't want them to have them there as a bigger group of disciples. But rather, he wants the best for them. He wants them to uh, have Christ formed in them. And then Paul the pastor finishes by saying that he desires to be with them. He wants to change his tone away from warning and correction. 
And then he says, I'm perplexed about you. I'm confused. It's as if he's saying, how did you get here? How did you get to this place? So as we think about this passage and how it relates to us, uh, I have three points of um, application or, or relation to us. The first point is plain and simply, come back. Come back. Paul's making a plea to the Galatians, come back. Maybe this morning you identify yourself with the Galatians. Uh, Perhaps you're at a place where you've wandered away from God. And maybe, like the Galatians, you've been influenced by those who are around you. Uh, Maybe they've taken you down a path that you never intended to walk down. And now you feel the distance between you and God. And maybe you wandered off on your own. And you feel ashamed to admit to God just how far away you have gone. If that's the case, come back. Come back. Or perhaps it's something more subtler. Perhaps it's subtler, not more subtle. Um, perhaps in the busyness of life, you've found yourself neglecting God. The joy that you once had when you first became a Christian has been replaced by maybe hollow apathy, just echoes of what used to once be there. Maybe those around you see righteous-looking living, but in fact, if they could see inside, they might be surprised at what's actually going on inside of you. Maybe you know what you need to do, but you lack the energy, you lack the motivation to move. If that's where you find yourself this morning, come back. Come back. second point is to seek out those who have walked away. So maybe this morning you identify yourself with Paul in the passage. Uh, Maybe you know people who've wandered away from the faith, but they need to be called back. Uh, Maybe it's a friend that you grew up with. Maybe it's a colleague that you work with. Um, Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's one of your kids. Seek them out and encourage them to come back to the faith. Although Paul was not present with the Galatians. He hadn't seen them in years. He still calls them back. He says, come back to the faith. He didn't shrug his shoulders and declare, not my problem. Instead, he reaches out to them and he calls them to come back. He wasn't concerned that somebody might say to him, this is not your place to meddle. You're not there. You don't know what's going on. He still dove in. I think that sometimes we have a lot of fears about calling back people to the faith. Sometimes we're afraid that if we approach them and talk to them, it might cause a break in relationship. Uh, Or maybe... ...will criticize us if we tell somebody that they're actually wrong. Or maybe we're afraid that... Uh, People will say that we shouldn't be forcing our ideas on other people. And so we don't approach. We just stand off at a distance. We need to get past that. Maybe we're afraid of getting pulled into the messiness and the complicatedness of the situation of their life. Maybe we're afraid we won't be able to answer their difficult questions. But either way it is, we need to get past that. We need to call people back to the faith. These kinds of concerns didn't stop Paul. 
he dove right into the middle of the problems and started to swim around to help the church at Galatia to call them back. He was at risk of being rejected by them. This is true, but it didn't stop him. As we consider calling people back, I guess I have sort of two points of caution, two, two, two thoughts on caution and calling people back. The first one is we need to have discretion with our approach. Um, some people need a direct rebuke. Some people, they need to be extended a lot of grace and encouraged to come back gently. And we need to have the discernment to know which approach to take. We need to pray. We need to talk to God to look for the opportunity to know how and when to do that. And we see this throughout the Bible. We look at the examples of God dealing with mankind. There were times that God dealt very, very directly with mankind. And there were times that, uh, about their issues. And there were times when God extended a whole lot of grace um, to them in, our situ- in the situations. We see this in Jesus as well. Uh, when he dealt with the Pharisees, he was extremely direct with them. But then other times, we find him saying, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he says to the lady, if no one has condemned you, I don't condemn you either. He extended grace. And we need to have discretion to know how to approach people. We don't approach everybody the same way all the time. God didn't give up on us at times when we've wandered away. Let us not give up on others as we seek to call them back to God. The second piece is, as we seek to call back people to God, we need to keep our motives in check. Now, Paul's motive for approaching the Corinthians, for calling them back, he says, I want to see Christ formed in you. This is a big part of his motive and why he's calling them back. He wasn't trying to gain, as I mentioned earlier, a larger following. He wasn't trying to keep his reputation intact. He wasn't trying to seek out words of affirmation from other people. He wanted to see what was best for them to happen. It's interesting, the the research literature on missionary children, uh, it shows that many of them feel a really, really high sense of pressure to be perfect. A lot of them live in a space where they feel pressure not to mess up, not to negatively affect the reputation of their parents. If you're in full-time ministry, and you have a child who's walked away, We need to make sure that when we approach them, that we're doing this out of a desire to see Christ formed in them and that we're not doing it out of concern for our own reputation. So as we seek to approach people about coming back, we need to make sure our our motives are pure in what we're doing. The third part would be of application is to work from weakness. Paul preached from a place of weakness when he was with the Galatians. He didn't hide his weakness He did not pretend that it did not exist. He was extremely open about it. So Paul had been stuck in Galatia. He was a victim of his circumstances. He hadn't initially intended to go there. But he was forced to go to Galatia because of sickness. Now Paul, when he got to Galatia, he had a choice. He could decide how to react to his circumstances. Paul could have become upset. He could have become angry with God over the distraction from what he was trying to do and over the change of plans. He could have chosen to remain on his sickbed and mutter to God about why have you brought me here what good is this but despite his sickness God used Paul to preach to the gospel to the Galatians 
So this morning, let me ask you, what are your circumstances? What are the circumstances that you're, you're in right now? Uh, have you found yourself in a place that you didn't expect to be? And, and if so, how are you responding to those circumstances? Are you looking for the opportunity and the change? Or are you quietly complaining to God about the expectations that you had not being met? A second part of that would be, how do we deal with our weaknesses? Paul was open about his weaknesses. How do we deal with ours? Do, do we cover them up? Do we not want other people to see them? For those in full-time ministry, we might fear that if others know our weaknesses, they may not respect us. We might fear that uh, if other people see our weaknesses, um, they might not support us in the way that they have. Or we may even be removed out of ministry. Uh, Paul's weaknesses did not disqualify him from serving God. In fact, God used Paul through his weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about the thorn in the flesh, he says it was to keep him from being conceited. So Paul ran the risk of feeling a lot of pride about the visions that he had been receiving, about the success in ministry that he was seeing. So Paul might stumble into pride if he was not careful. So what does it look like to serve from weakness? What, what, what might that look like? Uh, for some, like Paul, it, it might mean serving through sickness. It might mean um, showing others that despite the fred- fragility of our body, that we know joy because we know the living God. For some, it might mean serving through broken speech and imperfect linguistic capacity. Uh, many of you, like me, may wrestle regularly with the, with the Thai language. Um, but God can use us despite our weaknesses. It doesn't mean we don't strive for excellence. But if we don't engage, we'll never improve. And we'll never allow God to use us because of our weakness or through our weakness. So I'd ask you, what kinds of weaknesses do you suffer from? What are your inadequacies? What are your shortcomings? Are they preventing you from serving? What would happen if you brought these weaknesses and these inadequacies to God and you held them up to God and you said, Here, here they are, God. These are my weaknesses. You take them. You can have them. And if you ask me to serve from one of those areas, I'm ready to do it despite what other people will think. I'm ready to do it despite the anxiety that I may feel about serving in that area. I'm ready to, to use and to be served, uh, to serve from that weakness. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.